0: Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with on Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. So we've spelunked lots of things on Urban Spelunking. Most of them are buildings. We've also spelunked Milwaukee's first pizza.
1: That sounds vaguely disgusting. It does.
0: It absolutely does. So we've spelunked buildings, we've spelunked foods, but I don't think we've ever spelunked a person. Is that legal? I don't legal? Even, yeah, I think I'm we're in some, sure some borderline territory here. But it's timely. We're talking about Solomon Juno. Solomon Juno, who arrived in Milwaukee 200 years ago this, this year. This week. This week, okay. Yeah. So 200 years to the week. Wow.
1: Which seems, can I just say, we we discussed this a little earlier before we went on air, but it seems like an amazingly short amount of time to think oh, about. Yeah. yeah. On one hand, it feels like a really long time ago, of course. Sure. You know, but to think that everything that's happened in what we think of as Milwaukee has happened in that amount of time.
0: Well, especially like you just got back from France, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the sidewalks were more than 200
0: years <laughs> right, ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you think, you know, Milwaukee has, you know, we use the term like old world charm and, uh, you right. know, we talk about like it's industrial past, and, you know, compared to Europe or compared to, uh, you know, the East, this is a baby little city. You yeah. Know?
1: Yeah. But we should of course say that when Solomon Juno came here 200 years ago this week, He did not come to an uninhabited place. Of course, of course, the history of this area goes back thousands of years, right? I mean, there were Potawatomi, Menominee, all kinds of people living here in settlements scattered all through this area.
0: Yeah, and I love how you make that you make that statement in the first paragraph of the story: is that Salomonino was the first uh, white man to come and stay and and remain in Milwaukee. Right,
1: because he wasn't even the first white man. I mean, there were other white uh, European descent people who came. He was just the first one who stayed and created what what we have today.
0: So this goes back to 1818 when Solomon Juno came to Milwaukee, remained, and you know it's funny that you know a name like Solomon Juno. I I used to work at the Milwaukee Ale House, Bobby, and there was there was a beer named after Solomon Juno. So when I worked there for two years, I I would write his name on my waiter notepad, you know, dozens of times a day for two years, and I never thought to look him up. I never thought to like find out what Solomon Juno's story was. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. They probably know, they've heard of Solomon Juno, but they don't really know exactly who he is. So. Yeah,
1: I, I think so. I think people, you know, they hear the names of him and Byron Kilborn, maybe George Walker, mm-hmm. you know, and and they just sort of maybe file it away in like ancient history, right? <laughs> and then just move on, you know. Um, but it's kind of an interesting story because he came here. He was born in Canada, in um, a suburb of Montreal. So French-speaking, his parents had come from France, left France when the revolution broke out in 1789. Wow! So he was born in Canada four years later, and as a like late teenager, decided to sort of go off on adventure and had gone uh, off and found Jacques Vaux on Mackinac, uh, Mackinac Island, and Vaux hired him to be uh, to work in his trading posts, which were at Mackinac and Green Bay, and then ultimately Milwaukee. He came to Milwaukee. Voe's a uh, cabin that he had built here was in Mitchell Park. There's a stone there now, kind of behind the domes. Oh, really? There's still like a stone with a plaque there that says where it was. So he had this house, that over this log cabin that overlooked the Menominee Valley, which at the time was like wild rice growing. Sure. I mean, an extremely important part of uh, life here for the native peoples who were here because there was great fishing. There was all kinds of animals. There was the wild rice Um,
0: And that's just uh, just the fact that he decided to go on this adventure and and ended up, you know, in Milwaukee and staying here. Uh, You know, do people still do that today? I mean, I guess we do have people leave leave home and go on their own adventures now. It just seems so like, you know, such a slice of history that that he leaves, you know, he leaves his family to to go explore this, you know, part of the world that that hadn't really been explored or developed by European settlers.
1: It says a lot about what that sort of westward expansion was like in this continent at that time, you know, like people, I mean, really, I mean, there was no Wisconsin. There was no, I mean, there was just all sort of wilderness out here and and people just came and sort of claimed land and they, some of them went and did mining. Some of them like him and they ended up doing like fur trapping and fur trading and that sort of thing. Um, so I think there was really an opportunity for people who were willing to kind of sacrifice whatever the modern conveniences <laughs> would have been back then.
0: Well, our conversation about Solomon Juno, one of Milwaukee's founders, continues next on Urban Spelunking. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and to Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out our donor benefits and the thank you gifts you can get to show off your 88.9 Pride. 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 Okay, so he's, he sets up this, this uh, residence where Mitchell Park is today, and you can still see the evidence on and this. And that's, that's Jacques uh, Vaux, you know. Okay.
1: And, uh, but before. Oh, okay, so, so that wasn't. So Juno comes to work for Vaux here, and um, he ends up marrying Vaux's daughter. And um, they build a log cabin on water in Wisconsin. Okay. And they live there for a few years. Then they move. They built a, a sort of a somewhat more elaborate house a block south where the Mitchell building is now on uh, Michigan. And water, and then ultimately moved to Milwaukee Street and what is now Juno Avenue, and built a nicer house. Still there.
0: Yeah. So just the idea of there being a log cabin on water in Wisconsin—that's that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's nuts. But you know, and then I think if you if you if you don't consider you know how how inhabited the area already was by Native people, uh, it can seem like you know what did they do? They were here by themselves, but they were hardly alone. They really they, were not here yeah. by
1: themselves, right? I mean, he when he built the cabin on uh, water in Wisconsin. There was another uh, French-Canadian here named uh, Leclerc, who had a cabin there as well. So, I mean, he was was in this community that was not uninhabited. And it wasn't even, I mean, it was inhabited by Native peoples, of course, who had settlements in the area. But also Vaux was here, and Leclerc was here, and I'm sure there were probably others. But the thing that set Juno apart was that those other people left. I mean, not the Native people, but the white settlers ended up going on and to other places and and doing their thing. Juno stays, you know, and he keeps trading with the native people. He, um, lays claim to a lot of land. He, um, is named the first postmaster for Milwaukee in the 1830s by Andrew Jackson. Um, President Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Wow. And then, um, he helps set up the village of Milwaukee and then he is elected its first president. And then later when the city is incorporated, he's elected the first mayor. Wow. Um, and he, gives land for them to build the first courthouse, which is where City Hall is now, gives land uh for the church to build Saint John's Cathedral, which is on Cathedral Square there. Uh reportedly gave land to to poorer people who couldn't afford to buy land and help them uh get houses built, which of course was in his interest because if you make this a popular you know, you have people yeah. come here and live here, you make it a booming place. His the value of the real this real estate that he owns goes up. I mean it's, you know, not completely selfless, but um, but so he did, did how, do how, that kind of thing.
0: How did he acquire the land?
1: Back then, you could go to places and, and make claims on land that was, you know, considered I guess vacant, <laughs> even though there were native peoples living there. Wow, you know,
0: that's just a different, just a different Completely, time. Yeah, but to think it wasn't even really that. I mean, two hundred years—if you not in, that long ago, yeah—in right? terms of history, it's it's like a blink of blink of the eye. Yeah. So so what was Solomon Juno's relationship like with the native people here?
1: Well, he reportedly spoke a number of native languages, which would have been important. To his oh business, yeah, absolutely. Of course, but also, um, his wife Josette was the granddaughter of a Native American chief from up in uh, the Green Bay area. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and then when he died, he was on the the Indian reservation in Kashina, um, up north, and apparently, like seven hundred Native Americans, like sort of paid tribute to him in this procession, and um, and they buried him on the reservation. Uh, he's not buried there anymore. They ultimately moved him his body back to Milwaukee, but. Um, it would seem he had at least a a decent working <laughs> relationship, you know.
0: And there was this, is it true that there was a, a tree that grew from his gravesite?
1: That's, you know, his granddaughter wrote a book about him and I, a lot of the information I got is from there. But l- like that kind of stuff, I'm a little like, <laughs> I trust her on the facts, but I'm a little leery on the, oh, he was, uh, you know, he, so, every, yeah. every, every person who met him loved him, you know, right. uh, that stuff I'm a little leery about. What but she the- said that there was this this tree that grew there and was sort of a fitting testament to his you know the fact that he remains in the in the memories of of the people. So,
0: as one of the the founders, really of Milwaukee, was he involved in some of these like uh, spats with the other founding fathers of Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, he
1: supposedly had a, a testy relationship with with Byron Kilborn across, you know, um, who had claimed the land on the other side of the river, the west side of the river. Um, but supposedly, it was Kilborn who platted his streets just off kilter from Juno's streets, which is why the bridges are all at sort of an angle, you know. Um, But there is some suggestion that they were also friends and that they did have some business deals together because Juno did also own some land apparently west of the river, so I think it's probably a more complicated relationship than we've, you know, that I think we've probably gotten sort of a somewhat cartoonized version of them rolling the cannons up to the... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there there was in fact a war, you know, a very brief uh, bridge War, you know, where they blew up a couple of the bridges. Yeah, but, uh, but um, so th- I think is- that might be an oversimplification, probably, of what their relationship was really like.
0: And, but he was he was pretty chummy with Mitchell.
1: Well, yeah, that's what his that's what his granddaughter said. Oh, okay, you know. But again, so I'm a matter. little like I think I think it was probably a complicated, a much more complicated relationship than either she is letting on or what we've taught been taught is, you know.
0: So Salman Juno was known as as you know one of the original European settlers who stayed and remained, but but he didn't stay in Milwaukee forever. In fact, he left after some time.
1: Yeah, he did. In the in the eighteen late 1840s, he and his wife built a sort of uh, summer house uh, up in Dodge County on the Rock River and started to kind of plat out a town there. And in the early eighteen fifties they moved there for good and it was called Teresa. Spelled Teresa.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> pronounced Teresa. I always um, thought it was Teresa.
1: And um, named for his mother. Oh. Um, so they moved there, but then uh, his wife, Josette, died just a couple years later, and then he died a year after that. So they they didn't live there very long. Um, and then after they died, their, their bodies were brought back here, and they're buried in Cavalry Cemetery.
0: Well, we've gotten to know a person on this edition of Urban Spilunk, kind of a unique people version We've done pizza, we've done buildings, and now we've done uh, people here on Urban Spelunking. Podcast in 88.9 produced by Tyrone Miller. Handcrafted Sonic Inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from Milwaukee and, of course, your membership. You can subscribe to this podcast and all of our podcasts at radio at slash podcasts. Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzilo. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.